Welcome to the First Baptist Church Brunswick Podcast, where our goal is to lead people from where they are to where God wants them to be. Today, we'll hear a message from Pastor Chris Winford. Again, thanks for joining us. Amen, amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, and I'm sure that you do, would you please take them out and turn to the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes. Um, it's in the middle of uh, your Bible. And go to Ecclesiastes chapter 3 as we're continuing our series called Ecclesiastes Life Under the Sun. Well, we are looking at what the wisest man uh, who ever lived as he searches for the meaning of life. And I, I hope that you have enjoyed this series. I hope it's been challenging uh, to you. And um, uh, my prayer today is this. That my prayer is that um, when you leave here today, That no matter what you hear from God's word, that you will come away closer um, and more like him today. Amen? I just want you to draw closer to him this morning um, as we read God's word. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, we'll pick up here in just a few minutes at verse number 16. Uh, Before we jump into there, let me ask you this question. How many of you remember the movie or the musical Annie? Anybody ever remember this? Let's see if we got a picture up, I think. Yeah, there you go. How about that one? Anybody remember that, uh, that movie, that, uh, that musical? I know there's been many uh, uh, new movies made of Annie just recently, but many of you may remember the story. It's the story of a young girl named Annie and her dog. What was the dog's name? There you go. All the girls said Sandy. Thank you, Lord. That's good. Sandy, that's it. And Sandy, and so uh, Annie and her dog Sandy, and Annie thinks that her parents um, left her by mistake at a, at a children's home, at an orphanage, and they left her with Mrs. My family's the only one who knows this. This is going to be a great illustration. This is wonderful. Mrs. Hannigan from the 1982 movie. It was Carol Burnett that may help you out. We know later in that story that uh, Annie is then adopted by Oliver, Daddy. Wow, pretty good, Daddy Warbucks. And so we see this story, and it's, it's a fun story. But in the musical, in the movie, there is a song that is sung by Annie and um, the other children in the children's home in, in the orphanage. And, and the song is called, It's a Hard Knock Life. I think you may remember that's a hard knock life. Listen to these words. It's a hard knock life for us. Instead of treated, we get tricked. Instead of kisses, we get kicked. It's the hard knock life. Don't it feel like the wind is always howling? Don't it seem like there's never any light? Once a day, don't you want to throw the towel in? It's easier than putting up a fight. No one's there when your dreams at night get creepy. No one cares if you grow or if you shrink. Empty belly life. Rotten, smelly life, full of sorrow life, no tomorrow life, it's a hard knock life. Wow. You know where Annie got that song? Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. She got this song from the book of Ecclesiastes. This book written over 3,000 years ago. Um, written by the wisest man to live. And as we look at verses 16 through chapter 4, verse 6, we need to remember what the setting is as we go into uh, Solomon's continued search for the meaning of life. If we remember the setting, uh, the setting is this Solomon, in chapter 1, he's known as the Koheleth, which means the preacher, the teacher, the one who calls an assembly. So Solomon has called an assembly together. 
And scholars have said the assembly is a group of, of young men within Jerusalem who are, who are thriving, who are, who are living life, and who want to make, make the most of their life, make the most money they possibly can. Scholars will tell us that when Solomon writes this, that the nation Israel is at its peak it's at its high point in uh, its nation's history. And so these men who are in, uh, in this assembly listening to Solomon, they're trying to lead their families, but at the same time, they want to make the most money they possibly can because they think they're going to find meaning in, in this life under the sun. And what Solomon's going to tell him, what he has told them so far, and what he tells us so far in three chapters, and we still have about nine more chapters to go of this, He says the same thing over and over and over again. He says this, do not be a slave to the way the world does things. Don't be a slave to the way the world does things because the way the world does it, it gives you no profit. Instead, he says, enjoy life. Enjoy life. Enjoy it. Enjoy what God has given to you. Last week, we looked at chapter 3 all the way through verse 15. And in verses 12 through 13, Solomon says this, there is nothing better than to rejoice and do good in one's lifetime. So in chapters 1, chapters 2, and chapter 3, Solomon has been teaching us that we just need to enjoy life. What he means is this, go take a walk on the beach, right? Go enjoy it. Enjoy the waves. Enjoy, uh, enjoy the creation that we, um, uh, we are living in. Have fun. Solomon is saying, you can go to a Georgia Bulldog football game and scream as loud as you want. Have fun. But just come back for church that next morning. Amen? That's what he's talking about. We need to have fun. So in verse number 16 through chapter 4, verse 6, he's going to tell us why we just need to enjoy life. He's going to tell us why we need to enjoy this life that, God's going, that God has given us. He's going to tell us why because he's going to share with us the reality of life. That the reality of life is this. It's a hard knock life. That it's tough. That it is hard. And that life isn't fair. So in verse number 16, over four times in the next several verses, he's going to say this phrase, I have seen, I have seen, I have seen, I have observed. And so he's telling these young men who are trying to make a name for themselves, trying to get all of the toys that this world can offer, and he's telling them, listen, let me tell you what I have seen in this world. It's tough. And he's going to share with us three ways that life isn't fair. Now, if you came here this morning expecting a feel-good message, it's going to get better, I promise you, because it's tough out there. Anybody with me this morning? It's tough out there. Here's three ways that Solomon says that life isn't fair. I want you to write this down. Number one, Solomon's going to tell us this, that life isn't fair because of injustice. Life isn't fair because of injustice. Look at verse number 16 as Solomon continues uh, his search for meaning in life and what he has seen. Look at verse number 16. He says, furthermore, I have seen under the sun. Now remember what under the sun means. It means a life without God. Looking for meaning outside of God. Doing it your own way against God's, uh, against God's law. And he says, I have seen under the sun that in the place of justice there is wickedness. In the place of righteousness there is wickedness. Would anybody in here agree with Solomon's observation? Would you agree with that? That in place of righteousness we are seeing what? 
wickedness. In place of justice, we are seeing uh, wickedness. Uh, we would all be in agreement with that. I mean, we are living in a, in a, in a volatile, uh, hostile culture right now. We're living in, a, in a, a cancel culture world right now where everybody's claiming everything is injustice. Well, what is Solomon really talking about? What is he really saying when that life isn't fair because of injustice? Well, when you look in our text, when it says the phrase, in the place of justice, what Solomon is saying is using the Hebrew word that references the court system, the place of law, the place of court where judges and lawyers come together. And what Solomon is saying, he says, I have seen in the court of justice, there has been injustice. There has been wickedness instead of righteousness. Now, some of you may know that, that, that uh, justice um, can be visualized by a statue that's known to the Western world. And here's a picture of that statue. The statue is called Lady Justice. And Lady Justice, uh, she portrays what justice is supposed to be like. In her right hand, she has a sword, which represents that she is going to execute right judgment. In her left hand, she holds up a scale where she is going to weigh what is right and what is wrong. And if you can look closely, it's kind of hard to see, but if you look closely, you will see that she has uh, a, a blindfold over her eyes, meaning this, that she will only judge according to what is placed on the scale, whether that is right or whether that is wrong. And this picture of Lady Justice is supposed to symbolize that, that right will be done, that it will be justice will be served, not injustice. But here's what Solomon says. Now picture, he's got all of these men around. He's got all the assembly around him. And he says, but this is what I've seen. I have seen just the opposite. I have seen in the court of justice, I've seen nothing but wickedness. And this is what Solomon says. Solomon is saying sometimes the bad guys win. Are you with me? I mean, sometimes the bad guys win and the good guys suffer. A little, a little Super Bowl analogy for you, since today is a Super Bowl, using this same idea that the good bad guys sometimes win, the good guys sometimes suffer. Johnny the Christian doesn't always score the game-winning touchdown, does he? He doesn't. And Paul the pagan doesn't always fumble the ball, does he? It doesn't happen. And we see this injustice. I'll give you another example. Um, the Alabama Crimson Tide, they rarely fumble the ball. Amen? They always win the national championship. I mean, that's just injustice. Can I get an amen on that one? That's just an injustice. As you know, it's just, it's just part of it. But... But what Solomon is saying is, I see where there should be justice, I see injustice. Does anybody have a problem with that? Do we have a problem with that? Absolutely we have a problem with that. I have a problem seeing the bad guy winning. I see a problem with the good guys uh, losing. I don't like that. I'll give you another example. This past week, and it just it boils my blood to think about this. There was a Major League Baseball player this past week. Um, I think his name is Trevor Bauer, I think. I don't know the guy. Uh, but he just signed a three-year contract for over $100 million. But last year, he was voted the worst teammate in Major League Baseball. And I'm going, What? 
He's just voted the worst teammate, and then he's awarded and rewarded with one of the greatest, uh, wealthiest contracts. God, this doesn't make sense. You know, and I see injustices around the world, and, and Solomon sees it, and, but we have to come back, and we pull back from that reality, and we have to ask ourselves the question, would we rather have a perfect universe, meaning that, that God um, executes instant justice? Would we want that? Would we want God to execute justice immediately? I mean, it would be great, for example, if you're driving down the road and a driver runs you off the road, and then his car breaks down about five minutes later. Wouldn't that be good? I think that'd be fantastic. Or if, or if someone cheated you in business, then uh, within a month, that, that person in that company goes bankrupt. I think that'd be great. Or if someone gets angry at you and yells at you, and then that night all their teeth falls out. Wouldn't that be great? I mean, that's the kind of justice I'm talking about. I, I, I think that would be, pro- I think that'd be wonderful. But let's think about that for just a moment. What's the problem with instant justice? You and I have to live by the same standards. Isn't that right? You could be the one that's cutting somebody off with your little Jesus bumper sticker on the back of your car. (laughs) Right? That's why I don't put bumper stickers on my car. I don't want anybody to know. Don't do it. We have to live by that same justice, right? If we do that, then, then God needs to immediately strike us down. If you gossiped about somebody, then maybe your tongue would turn green. Or if you spent money on something you did not need to spend it on, then immediately your food and your refrigerator would rot out that night. Or every time you lusted or envied, then all your hair would fall out. That's not a good analogy with a bald-headed preacher. (laughs) Scratch that analogy, please. But would you want to live in a world like that with instant justice? Would you want to live in a world like that? Solomon says, I've seen injustice. He wrote this 3,000 years ago. He saw it way back then. He saw in the court of law, I see injustice. That wickedness is in the place of righteousness. And what he's trying to teach these men, this assembly, what I believe he's trying to teach us today as well is this, is that God's patience is an incredible blessing. Amen? God's patience is an incredible blessing. Otherwise, we would all be, uh, be, be executed immediately by God if he practiced instant justice. Uh, turn over with me to Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Go to Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Look what the apostle Paul says about God's patience and about God's kindness. Now, now remember who Paul uh, is and who he was. Before he becomes a follower of Jesus, Paul, um, he was a murderer. He was a vile and arrogant man. If there was anybody in the world who needed to be executed immediately, it would have been Paul, right? I mean, he's going into homes, dragging people out of homes because they're followers of Jesus, But God in his kindness doesn't immediately uh, execute instant justice on Paul. Instead, God does something incredible in the midst of injustice. He doesn't necessarily change the injustice. He changes the person. I think we need to hear that in our society today. We focus so much on changing the injustice, and God says, why don't you be a part of showing me to the people, and let's change the people. God 
changed Paul. You remember on the Damascus Road, Paul is on his way to, to execute an injustice. He is, he is, he is uh, killing the righteous. He's on his way, and, and Jesus shows up to him in a bright light on the road to Damascus and says, Paul, Paul, why are you, why are you, why are you persecuting me? He says, who are you? He says, I'm the Christ. And he says, quit kicking against the goads and follow me. And Paul is radically changed. And years later, he writes this great treatise on salvation in the book of Romans that salvation is only found in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus alone, not by your works, but by faith. And in Romans chapter 2, Paul, the one who has been saved from his injustice, Paul writes, he says this, do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance. Do you think that Paul was appreciative of God's patience? Absolutely. Because that's consistent with God all throughout Scripture. You can start in the book of Exodus. You go to the book of Nehemiah. You go to Job. Uh, you go to Psalm 2, Psalm 86, Psalm 103, Psalm 145. And they all say this about God, that the Lord is gracious and is compassionate and he is slow to anger, and every single one of us ought to say, thank you, Jesus. Amen? Aren't you glad that God is slow to anger? Aren't you glad that he doesn't execute instant justice? I mean, that's good, but yet, but yet Solomon says, I still see it. I still see it. And this is where we struggle as mankind. We wrestle with that. God, I don't, God, why don't you just take care of that? God, why don't you just... God, you're able, why don't you just rip out the injustice? And through it all, God is saying, I'm not doing it now because I'm patient. Because I desire that all men come to a saving knowledge of me. God is patient. Look at verse number 17. Look at verse number 17. This is what Solomon says. I said to myself, God will judge both the righteous man and the wicked man for a time for every matter and for every deed is there. Here's a fact that Solomon says to the assembly that he says to you and I today. Yes, I see the injustice in the world. God declares, I see the injustice. God's not blind to it. God has not turned his back to it. God is not ignoring the injustice that's going on in the world. He is not saying, well, you know, we'll just let that go on. We'll let that pass by. He's not doing that. Solomon says there will be a day when judgment will take place so that you and I, we can take great comfort in the fact that there will be a day when God deals with evil. There will be a day when God deals with it. So if God's going to deal with evil at his appointed time, what are we to do? Enjoy life. Amen? Are you with me? Are you wrestling with this right now? Are you wrestling? This is hard. And, and here's, here's what Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes is all about. He says, there's going to be injustice. There's going to be injustices in the world, and here's the reality. No matter how hard we try to eliminate injustice in this world under the sun, guess what? You can't do it. Now, I say that, and I understand that that can create apathy in our lives. 
Well, if I can't do anything about it, if I can't change it, then why do anything at all? Well, that's not biblical either, correct? I mean, the Bible does say that we need to stand up for those who are going through injustice, that we need to, that we need to make the wrongs right. But, but we're not going to talk about that today because that's going to be a different uh, sermon for another day. But right here, Solomon says, there's injustices in the world and it's going to happen. This was written 3,000 years ago. Has it changed since Solomon wrote this? No. Is it going to continue when we've passed from this earth? Yes, it is. But yet the promise remains. God will deal with it in time. That person who wrote something about you on Facebook, God's going to deal with them. He will. That thing you wrote about somebody on Facebook, yeah. I remember this, this story, a friend of mine who, was a, um, who liked to work out, um, he said he was at a gym one time, and uh, he was having this gospel conversation with this guy. And this guy told him, he said, you know, good guys finish last. Well, my friend was a hardcore evangelist. You know, uh, you could call him the hellfire and brimstone type of person. He looked at that guy at the gym and said, yeah, but bad guys go to hell. So there you go. <laughs> That's one way to share Jesus, right? <laughs> <laughs> but here's the point the point is it doesn't pay to be wicked we see the injustices in the world there's coming a day there's coming a day when God is going to take care of it well look at verse number 18 we're going to read through the verse 18 19 and 20 and Solomon says I said to myself concerning the sons of men God has surely tested them in order for them to see that they are but beasts for the fate of the sons of men and the fate of the beast is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. Indeed, they all have the same breath. There's no advantage for man over the beast, for all is a vanity. Verse number 20, all go to the same place. All came from the dust and all return to the dust. What is Solomon saying? What's he saying to this assembly of the young men who are striving to make a name for themselves and, and hoping that there will be some type of e uh, eternal reward for their name here on this earth? What is he saying? What he is saying is this, you are mortal. You are mortal. You, you, you are mortal. You keep striving to obtain everything you possibly can on this earth under the sun, and you need to understand that you will not take your toys to heaven with you. You're not going to take them. It's not going to happen. As a matter of fact, if you continue to live the life under the sun, this is what Solomon's saying to these men. He's saying if you continue like that, you end up just like the beasts. You die just like they do. You just pass away. And he's saying this in context that you need to understand He's not saying that, that man and beast are on the same level because that is not right, correct? Man is the highest creation, amen? Man is God's greatest creation. We have the image of God within us. We are the image of God. Animals are not the image of God. But man is. You see, in our culture today, we have it very, very backward where we try to elevate everything but mankind. We elevate animals. I love animals except cats. I love them. I love them. But listen, they ain't human. They're not human. Does that mean we can mistreat them? No. 
The Bible says you need to treat pets well, except cats. That's what it says. We still treat them well. But here is, here's the reality of our culture today. Is that we are dehumanizing people, especially the unborn. We are dehumanizing them as if they are just animals and we get rid of them whenever we want. Someone says, you live your life under the sun and that's what you revert back to. You revert back to being an animal. When you live life the way you want to live it, chase every lust, passion, envy, whatever, you do whatever you want, your base desire is nothing but an animal's desire. That's it. And Solomon says, listen, can you, can you just picture what he's talking to all these guys? They're trying to make all this money, make, do all these good things, and trying to gain everything. And Solomon says, listen, you guys, you continue to do that, you're nothing. Do you think some pride is being hurt in those comments? Yeah, absolutely there is. And look at verse 22, and he says this. I have seen that nothing is better than that man should be happy in his activities, for that is his lot. What is he saying? He's saying this. Listen, guys, there's going to be injustices. There are going to be people who live like an animal, and they think it's right, but it's wrong. Y'all remember? Ah, never mind, I won't say that story. Yeah, I will. I'll say it. It's an older movie. I don't recommend it. But Animal House. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's filth. When you choose to fill your life with all of what the flesh wants and desires and you partake in that, it's nothing but an animal house under the sun. And so Solomon says, Boys, but I want you to listen. You need to go enjoy life. You still see it. You're still going to be a follower of Yahweh, Elohim, God, Jesus Christ. You still enjoy life, even though there's injustices in the world. If Solomon were here right now, he would say this. After church, go have a great lunch. Go home. Watch the Super Bowl. Root for Patrick Mahomes. He's a product of the greatest college football program in America. The Texas Tech Red Raiders, well, life's not fair, is it, because of injustice. It's not fair, but Solomon says that's, that's life. Look at chapter 4, verse 1, write this down. He's going to give the second reason why life isn't fair. Life isn't fair because of oppression, oppression. And actually, the word that Solomon is using for oppression, and we'll talk briefly about this Today, we'll possibly talk about it in another sermon in Ecclesiastes. The word that Solomon is using for oppression is actually a word that's related to politics. Pastors and politics, right? I've been in the ministry for 20 plus years. The number one complaint or suggestion from people has been this Pastor, you need to stay away from politics, which I agree to some degree. But if pastors do not talk about politics, then here's what we need to do. Let's just take Ecclesiastes chapter 4 out of the Bible. Let's just rip it out. I can't do that. Does that make sense? The Bible talks about politics. And I believe one of the reasons why 
our country is in the way it is because pastors have not talked about politics. I'm not talking about Republicans or Democrats. Neither is Solomon. I, I, I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about doing the right thing. I don't care what, if it's an elephant or a donkey. I really don't. But I know what Solomon says. And he says that life isn't fair. And a lot of times life's not fair because of politicians. All right, I'm off that soapbox. Here we go. But are you with me? This is just about doing what's right. Look at verse number one. Then I looked again at all the acts of oppression which were being done under the sun. Who are those who are oppressed? Those who are oppressed, the Bible says, are the ones who, who are not helped. They're the ones who are being purposely hurt. You and I, we look throughout history, and we see nothing but oppression after oppression after oppression after oppression in every culture. In every culture we see oppression. And Solomon is talking about this 3,000 years ago. For some reason, we as Americans think that we have been above repression. But we must remember that all throughout our country's history, there's been oppression. I mean, through it all, the rich have oppressed the poor. The powerful have oppressed the powerless. Races have oppressed races. Men have oppressed women. And all around you see racism. And I think one thing as a church that we have to stand up and acknowledge today is this, is that we acknowledge that oppression exists. Amen? That it exists. We do not agree with it. We do not agree with oppression because the Bible's against oppression. And when the Bible talks about oppression, it, it always has this tied with it, that nobody speaks up for those who are oppressed. And that's always tied to a believer in Jesus Christ. And as believers in Christ, we stand up and speak for those who are oppressed. Now, let me take a little sidestep here and say this. We only do that according to the truth. Are you with me? Does that make sense? Because there's a lot of people today who will say they are oppressed and they're living like an animal house. Are you with me? We stand up for the truth. We love people. Scripture says this, that, uh, that God will not crush a broken reed. He will not put out a smoldering wick. What does that mean? It means this, that he's kind. He's gracious. He's compassionate. He's slow to anger. Why? Because he desires all people to come to a saving knowledge of him through his son, Jesus Christ. We stand up for the truth because we want all people to know Jesus and Jesus crucified, buried, and raised from the dead. There's oppression. There's oppression. I don't know if you know this or are aware of this, but last year, over a million Christians were martyred in the world, most of them in China and in other communist countries. Over a million believers gave their lives for being a believer in Jesus Christ. The 20th century was the bloodiest century for Christians. Who's speaking up for them? You know the 
media will not speak up for them. Continue on verse number one. And behold, I saw the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. And on the side of their oppressors was power. There's the politics. But they had no one to comfort them. Again, Solomon is saying, I don't like it that the bad guys hurt the good guys. I don't like it. I don't, I don't like that. It's not, it's, not, it's not fair. And this is what he's saying. And Solomon would agree that we need to work hard for justice and we need to speak up and to defend the oppressed. But here's the reality, and this is Solomon's uh, reminder to us that the reality is there will always be the Stalins and the Hitlers in this world. We cannot eradicate that. Now, I wish we could. It doesn't mean we stop fighting. It doesn't mean that. It just means we just understand that that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the spiritual powers in this world. So Solomon says, listen, there is oppression, there's, there's injustice, and there's in, uh, oppression. Now, what's his conclusion? Y'all still with me? What's his conclusion? Look at verse number two. So I congratulated the dead who are already dead more than the living who are still living. But better off, but better off than both of them is the one who has never existed, who has never seen the evil activity that is done under the sun. What does that mean? What is he saying? He's saying this. It hurts when you're oppressed. It hurts when you've been treated unjustly. It means that you will be treated unjustly. It means that somebody will talk about you behind your back. It means that people will do things against you that will purposely hurt you, and it hurts. Anybody with me this morning? It hurts. And he says, sometimes I wish I didn't have to feel that pain. This is, this is what he means. I remember several years ago um, when I was serving on staff with First Baptist Atlanta under Dr. Charles Stanley, I learned a lot from him about oppression and being treated unjustly. There was a time in Dr. Stanley's ministry at First Baptist Church Atlanta when, when in his words, almost everybody wanted him to be removed from the senior pastorate. Can you believe that? This is when he began his ministry early on. They wanted him gone. And, and I remember hearing Dr. Stanley say this, and I remember reading this later in, in a, a book called In and Out by Andy Stanley, his son, and talking about all these things with Dr. Stanley. I remember, I remember him saying, Dr. Stanley saying that he felt like his enemies were all against him, that everywhere there was enemies everywhere, because everybody was against him. And so he said this, I began to pray, Lord, should I stay here at this church or should, should I leave? And Dr. Stanley said this, I remember clear that God spoke to me and, and, and said this, he said this, he said, you're not going to get through this until you quit looking at them as your enemies and start looking at me and see that all this is coming from me and not them. Whew. What a perspective change. What a perspective change. He went on to say that, that I had to just quit viewing them as my enemy, and I had to see this resistance, and I had to see this challenge as something that was coming ultimately through the hands and through the permission of my heavenly Father. Wow. Do you think that would change our perspective? You think that would change our perspective on things? Life's not fair. 
It's hard. It's a hard knock life. Injustice. Um, oppression. And then look at verse number, number four, and this is the third thing, and then we're going to be done. Life isn't fair because of rivalry. Not only must we face injustice and oppression, but now we have to look at rivalry. Look at verse 4. I have seen that every labor and every skill which is done is a result of rivalry between a man and his neighbor. And this is why I know that it is vanity and it is striving after the wind. What Solomon is saying, he's saying it to these men who are striving. He's, he's saying to these men who, who, are, who are in the middle of the rat race, who are trying to keep up with the, with the uh, proverbial Joneses. and They're trying to impress everybody. And what Solomon is saying is this, you can't, you can't live your life continually trying to look good to other people. Does that make sense? You can't do it because it's striving after the wind. And so he says to him, and he says to us today, listen, uh, you, you don't have to do this. If you try to keep up with everybody, that's a losing battle. It's a losing battle. Then in verses 5 through 6, he then kind of, Solomon then kind of combats this, the, the opposite of, of rivalry, which is because of competition, you stop doing any work at all. Look at verses 5 and 6. The fool folds his hands and consumes his own flesh. One hand full of rest is better than two fists full of labor and striving after the wind. What Solomon says is this, that if you quit working because of competition, you'll end up eating yourself. You'll end up destroying yourself. What does that mean? It means in our culture, you have to work. And that not working is not an option for someone who wants to honor God. I'm going to say that again. Not working is not an option for someone who wants to honor God. I get it. I understand some of you are not able. Some of you have retired or whatever. So there's, there's certain situations. I understand that. But when you work, you bring glory and honor to God. This is what Solomon says. He says, don't be a workaholic. He says, one hand full of rest is better than two fists full of labor. Let me give you the Chris Winford translation. This is the infallible translation. Rather than putting two hands of work in for 80 hours a week, work for 40 hours and the other go enjoy life. Enjoy it. People my age, men, women my age, we are striving to make a name for ourselves. And Solomon says, don't. It's vanity. Work hard. Play hard. Enjoy life. Enjoy things. Well, let me close with two points of application and we'll, and we'll close for this morning. Are you all with me today? Have you been encouraged? Nope, not at all. Life is hard. It's a hard knock life. Let me two, two applications and we'll close. Number one, when you're dealt a hand that you didn't deserve, just accept it that it's unfair. It's unfair. It happens. You look all around the room, it's happened to everybody in this room, it's going to happen again. That's part of it. Just accept it. Jesus said this in John chapter 16, verse 33. He said this, in this world you will have trouble you have trouble that's life that's part of it 
That that's life, that trouble is a part of life. And the reality is, yes, we still fight for justice. We still speak up for those who are oppressed. But the reality is that until we go after the sin nature, we will never change the world. No executive order will change the reality of our culture. None of that will change. Because the world is trying to change the oppression, they're trying to change the injustice, but they're going about it the wrong way. As believers in Jesus Christ, we know what the issue is. The issue is it's a heart issue. It's a sin issue. You and I both know, we all agree that racism isn't the issue, it's the heart that's the issue. It's the heart that's the issue. Yes, are there problems? Yes, but we need to be about the heart. Where we tell people about the blood of Jesus and how he's able to take a broken heart and to heal it and to mend it and to make it right. And when we focus on the heart, that's when injustices turn to justices. And that's when we do things right. But first, we need to come to reality. You know what? Life's not fair. That's it. Life's not fair. And here's the second thing that we can do. Is this. You're not going to like this one because it's hard. Wait for God's reward. There will be a time when Jesus is going to split the sky. The trumpet is going to sound. All the dead in Christ are going to rise. We're going to meet him in the air and it will be a glorious reunion with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And at that time, and at that time, God will finally deal with all the evil in the world. And I promise you, he's going to do it better than you and I would. Amen? He is going to do a much, much better job than you and I would ever do if we were going to wipe out all evil. He will do it much, much better. Therefore, wait. Take great comfort. Take great joy. Don't retaliate. Don't return evil with evil. Overcome evil with good. Don't get resentful. Don't get revengeful. Let God take care of this. Let God do it. Let God do it. We don't have to storm the capital. Are you with me? Because our God is able. Our God is willing. And our God will on his time. It's a hard knock life, but God is good. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we come before you this morning. And Father, we thank you for, we thank you for who you are, that you are a God who is for us, you're not against us, that you are a God of justice, and you're a God for, of, of uh, for the oppressed. You are the God who is for those who are put down. You are the God who knows and hears. Now, I pray, Father, that this church would speak for the oppressed, would stand up for justice, and we would speak about the name of Jesus. If there's anybody here this morning, Father, who does not know you as Lord and Savior, I pray today that if that's you, that you would say yes to Jesus. Because he is the only one who is able to take that which is wrong and make it right. And he wants to do that in your life. 
If that's you this morning and you'd like to give your life to Jesus, would you just simply cry out to him and say, Father, forgive me. Forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of living my life my own way. Please come and be Savior of my life and lead me in the ways of you. If you pray that, the Bible says that you are now, you're a saint, that you must repent from your sins and follow him, and I pray that you would do that. Do that today, for today is the day of salvation. In Jesus' name we pray.